Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's the night before uh, Yom Kippur, and I'm actually going to try to do the um, Pasha. I'm trying to get back into the regular pattern uh, of Hazinu, even though it'll be after Yom Kippur, but I think it's Nogea, myself to Yom Kippur. Uh, at least I do this year, and today's, or tonight's podcast, Pashuk podcast, is being sponsored, first of all, by the Shuchmans, they're doing two and a half, eight and Ariella, who to thank Dad, and also half by um, <clears throat> Mendy Mayer, uh, you know, in the Yaki land in, in Washington Heights, uh, in memory of his father, Mr. Manfred Mayer. Uh, he, for those of you who don't know, uh, for those who are into this sort of thing, he has this uh, website, which I've seen, uh, called Broyers Together. If you're interested in anything along those lines, not everybody is, if you're interested in anything along those lines, they have all these YouTubes about all, basically everything you want to know about Washington Heights and the Yaki land. And I'm serious, I mean that. And they're very good. So, if that's something you're interested in, that, any area whatsoever, you go, you'll go, you look it up online. It's called Broyers Together 2 with a number 2, you know. Um, so anyway, thank you for the... Uh, uh, sponsorship, and now let's talk about Hazinu. Uh, as I said, you know, it always comes out around either before Yom Kippur or after, correct? You know, and depending on the calendar, either it's in Shabbat Shuvah or it's right after. This year it's right after. <clears throat> and uh, it, it, it's a little bit strange. You might see anticlimactic because you just finished Yom Kippur and then you're going to be hit over the head with the Hazinu. But it doesn't matter because it's still left over in the mind. I think the rabbis, when they put it together in this <coughs> system, excuse me, sorry, I have a cough. Um, when the rabbis were put it together in the system, they obviously knew this is the time of year you have the small parshas, <coughs> including Azinun. Vayelach and Azin go back to back. Because at the end of Vayelach, God tells Moshe, after you're gone, everything's going to screw up. I want to get on record now that I knew this was going to happen. You're not fooling me, God says. I'll sell this before it happens. I'm putting it all down on papers. I'm predicting the Holocaust and everything before it happens. I'm also predicting the reason for the Holocaust, and that is that the people go off the derech, right? Ki avienu is that God says, El eretz sabbat scholo dvash, v'niyat sunu ve'hefer esprisi. I'm going to fulfill my part of the bargain that I made to Moshe Rabbeinu when I took him at the burning bush, and I said, I'll take the Jews out bring them to a land flowing milk and honey. <clears throat> but it's not going to be like the end of a novel, what happens after they arrive in the land flowing of milk and honey. And then things will be big. Okay? And I'll get angry at them, and so on and so forth. And then, God says to Moshe, and here you have a literary thing, So, isn't that what it says? Now, um, that means uh, that <clears throat> here we have a comment by God on poetry. Isn't that interesting? Uh, 
Here it is. Kisu Chemis Ashir Zos, Balam de Sisrol, B'nai Sisrol, Simba Bafin. You know, write it out the poem and teach them the words. Lamanti Ali Ashira, Azos Lady of Nisra. So, it sounds like Hazinu, of course, is the poem. And Hashem is saying, to have a Stamaz in the Chumash is not going to make much of an impression. Let's put it this way. If you're from, every single word in the Chumash makes an impression. But if you're not from, <clears throat> or in your mood not to be from, you're in the mood to party, you're not going to remember, you know, and all kind of visit. It'll be boring, you know what I'm saying? But if you encapsulate it in the poem, <clears throat> and as it's likely, the poems were all put to music, uh, or rhythm, you know, we don't know what the ancient Hebrew poetry was like when we read Azino, we can read the words. Obviously, you know that uh, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. Uh, there's been so much written on that. But, so what? Who was it? Sir Philip Sidney or somebody said, you know, it's vivid. Isn't that right? The idea of poetry, you use language in a vivid manner. So Hazim is a poem. That's not all it is, but it's a poem. Wait a minute. You just told me the same thing already in the previous parsha. Ki avienu lamokam asher, you know, Ishpati lohem, b'ni asuni ve'feris brisi, and, you know, uponi lohim achirim, b'ni asuni ve'feris brisi, they'll turn to other gods, and they'll really tick me off, ni asuni, and they'll violate the commandment, and then I'll blow up my, blow against them. Okay? Now, b'ni afazinu, which is the presenting of it. So you see over here, a poem is easier to remember than a prose. A poem is easier to remember than a prose. In this case, Hashem is saying, I want you to put the Musr Shmuz in the form of a poem. The Musr Shmuz is pretty stark, stark, because it lays it out that there will be destruction. He's describing Hitler and, and many other Hitlers. Right? You know, terror inside, terror outside, murder inside, murder outside. Uh, the sword's dripping with blood. I mean, it's a pretty vivid poem. I repeat, it's not just a poem, but it's a poem. And the idea is, <clears throat> the Moshe would teach it to them. Um, and maybe sing it or something like that. So that they will pass it on to their children. And every time people do it, it's not so easy to sin. So it's equivalent to sing like this. Tra-la-la-la-la, I foresee that I or my children are going to go up to Derek, and then they'll be destroyed. Tra-la-la-la-la. And, uh, you know, it'll all be because of our perverseness. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's a, you know. It's, but in the end, <clears throat> God will punish the people that punish us. But it will not be because of our sake, but because they're too stupid to realize that they're acting as instruments of God. You know, uh, but they're going So the people who God will appoint to punish the Jews will be, won't see it that way. <clears throat> They'll see it in other ways. Let me put it this way. When Hitler went against the Jews, he didn't say, oh, I'm doing Lecha Shemayim. When Chmelnitsky went against the Jews, he didn't say, I'm doing Lecha Shemayim of the Old Testament God. You see? They're doing because they want to do it. For, for different reasons. Get it? The Inquisition, all the others. They're doing it for different reasons. They're not doing it 
the Mimakayim, the Mitzvah Judaism, that kind of story you have only in the Talmud, where the Roman general Nero said, I'm point, shooting the air in different directions, and they are facing towards the base of Mish. You know what I'm talking about. That's in Kamsa Prakamsa. Uh, therefore, Kuchaboy, Lechrube, Beisei, Lachpuri, Yadabehogavra. God wants me to destroy the temple. So there he was saying, I'm going to do it because Hashem, the, the God of the Hebrews, told me to do it. And as you know, he didn't do it and became a Jew. So somebody says, the reason I'm going against Claudius is for their own good. To strike them and muster them, to give them a shake-up call, so they'll go back on the terror. There's nobody like that. If somebody did that, they would not be a guy over the Hema. They would be in, indeed an instrument of the Almighty. Um, the most you find, rarely in history, <clears throat> is what I would call the Christian Zionists, huh? where you'll find Christians, for example, some who will say, "I want to do something good for the Jews because of the God of the Old Testament." Uh, maybe that's not exactly correct. The way they see it, it's also got a New Testament, but it's close enough. You know, people like Balfour and Truman and all that, um, you know, they they see it helping the Eden, like Jerry Falwell and so forth, as because as, as a task they've been given by God. A lot of these uh, evangelicals that are pro-Israel, you know, they take it seriously. But I never heard the other way around, which is somebody come and, and hurt the Jews and say, I'm doing this to be kind to I'm doing this to be kind saver dvarm. I'm doing this to act out my role in Hazinu. That they don't do. And that's the point of the poem of Hazinu. So again, I want you to Jews, and I want to be clear about this. <clears throat> this experiment was not successful. God told them to do so. It was not successful. It is not true that Jews down the ages you know, memorize this poem and this kind of stuff went around, you know, uh, talking about it and so on and so forth. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone off the terror. Now, there is Haziv Loch, you know, what they used to recite in the temple, in the base of Mish, part of the daily ritual, Dumar says. They used to read, read Hazino. Okay, they used to read it, and I'm sure sing it with the choir and everything, if you're in the base of Mish, but not out there in the vast Jewish public. And so, you have a poem. Again, I mean, it's not me talking, uh, you know, Hashem said, I want, them, I want you to do it. And the Chumash tells, goes to the trouble of saying that God gave him instructions. So I want you to teach this poem to all the Jews. Sounds like, you know, it's a last-ditch effort by Moshe before he goes, because he's about to go. As you know, at the end of the parsha. God tells him to go up to the mountain and get ready to die. So, it's a last-ish effort. All my other things didn't work. Maybe if you hear this very vivid and scary poem, and it is a scary poem, because Azinu, among other things, is scary simply because he talks about all the terrible things that will happen right there, right? You know, uh, later on, as the poem gets on there, where, you know, Mezerov, Luchumi Rev, Shed, Ketem, Riri, and all these, you know, and attacked by creatures, Chama Zochel Yafar, Michutz Teshachal Cherev, Mechadorim Eimah, 
You know, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's bad. Okay? It's bad. Now, perhaps, I, mean, I don't know, I mean, you know, if you're giving a certain type of schmooze, you can say the fact that the don't, guy don't get it is a saving grace. Because that gets God angry at them and then that calls off the intensity of the Holocaust. If they would say we're fulfilling our role, maybe it would continue longer. I mean, I don't know. Seems that way. But anyway, the idea, as I said before, is this would be a grand poem. And Moshe, I mean, it's an image we don't usually associate with. Because I don't think we usually imagine Moshe coming down from the mountain numerous times and giving a shear, as we would say today. You know, was he teaching halacha? Was he teaching Moser? Was he teaching theology? You know, it's hard to see. Here, he'd be teaching Moser. So, imagine Moshe had been at the age of 120, gathering everybody around him before he dies, and says, listen, I'm going to teach you a poem, and learn the poem, memorize it. They rewrote it down, of course. It's in the But, you know, use that poem and memorize it. I don't think that they did, as far as I can see. And so Azino is like a funny thing. It's on the record, but I don't see, as far as I can tell, to succeed in its basic purpose, which was to give like a, a, a scary poem as a wake-up call and to shock them and prevent them from doing a virus. Uh, and <clears throat> one of the, I mean, let's put it this way. A reason, maybe the reason for this is character flaws in the Jewish people. Plain and simple. Character flaws in the Jewish people. Um, it says at the beginning of the, I mean, I, I know you know this. It says at the beginning of Azino, they, they don't take any blame on themselves. They blame God. If anything goes wrong, it's Hashem's fault. Here's Moshe Rabbeinu, 40 years having taught them. As they said the other day, the, other, the older generation is all dead. Anybody from Tom Raglam is dead. These are the younger generation. They had no Liwudicho, as we would say today. No TV. No internet. And yet, they have these Jewish flaws. Which sometimes are surmounted. But not often. And as we know, <coughs> he says, Hatsur Tomi Polo, he called Rocha Mishwab, God is always right. Tzadib Yosho. Sheikh is low, low, bonamumum, Dorikishim, Salzo. If any problems, it's the fault of the people. You screwed up generation, Dorikishim, Salto, you twisted and worked generation. Look at the language over here. Are you blaming God? Right? For your, your, your faults? You, you disgusting people, you dumb, stupid Jews. This <laughs> is Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? I'm no Elohim, boy, oh boy. Hello, Avicha Konecha, God gave you everything, and He says, "Go look in history," because you know. So, what's He addressing over here? Is the ingratitude and an unwillingness to shoulder responsibility, which is a sign of immaturity, right? You tell a kid in school at one grade and or another grade, at what point do you start to take responsibility for your own actions? Some kids get used to, you know, fobbing it off to others, maybe throughout life. Uh, but a mature adult says, I guess I did this, I'm responsible for my actions, and I'm willing to face the music for it, 
maybe I did right, maybe I did wrong. By by owning up to what I did, I can possibly get constructive criticism. And next time, get it right. <clears throat> if I don't up to what, own up to what I did, I'll never be criticized because I'll never say I was wrong. I'll certainly never absorb the criticism because it's not my fault. And here they're blaming Hashem. That motion's angry. So he's addressing what we say character flaws. And the fundamental character flaw is the unwillingness to admit the truth. And that means you can't take criticism and everything flows out of that. Imagine, you know, marriage counselors, they deal with people. The husband can't see he's doing anything wrong. The wife can't see she's doing anything wrong. It's always the other person's fault. And the marriage counselor says, nothing was your fault? No, no, it's not my fault. It's all his fault. It's all her fault. That's an impossible situation. You can't run a country that way. You can't run a family that way. The biblical figures that we hold in the highest regards are the ones who say Chotasi. Like we're going to do formulaically on Yom Kippur. By us, it's part of the liturgy. A really religious person will say it with oomph and will add words, you know, from the different texts. Uh, you know, the Chidah and so forth. And they'll own their sins. And because they'll own their sins, I can tell you pretty assuredly, so when you keep, you don't keep reserved, they'll feel better. Because they admit it, they ask God for forgiveness. And confession is very important even in regular courts. And we believe in Judaism is, is, is very important in heavenly court. That's why Ochon famously said, you know, they told Ochon, 10 couple of little Israel, hear what I just put it? We want you to confess that you stole the spoils of Jericho before we kill you. But the words were ten covered little case rope. Give glory to God. In other words, it would be a cover to Hashem for you to say, I sinned, and therefore what's about to happen to me, I deserved it. Totally aside from the morality of it, it's a vindication that God was right and you're wrong. As we say in the Slichas all the time, quoting from Ezra and Nehemiah, Lucha Hashem upon him, words like that. Words like that. And the liturgy on Yom Kippur is full of that. Right? You know, how do you say it? We don't say tzadikim anachnu v'lo chotanu. Avo anachnu v'asein chotanu. They're willing to say I'm wrong. And to admit that you did something wrong. What was uh, Yehuda's finest hour when he confessed? What about Tomar? What's King David's finest hour when he said chotasi? And to the degree that King David did only because he was confronted by the prophet, it's less sublime. So Moshe is saying over here that, you know, you're going to blame anything, Hashem, you'll never confess anything. That'll lead you to a stubbornness. And that'll lead to me, God, getting angry. Amar, you know, you know, I'll hide my face from them. Erem machrisom. Gidor tapuchasem bukbonim limavom, because they stink. I think, I, mean, I don't know, that Hazina was always this time of year because this is a major theme of this season, whether it's Yom Kippur, specifically around Yom Kippur, because the whole idea of Yom Kippur is the, is the Slicha Kapar, is the Vidui. Right? The essence of the Tshuva 
is dependent on Davidoy. As so many of you know, I'm sure, the Rambam says it, it, the, the mitzvah is Davidoy, not the Tshuva. Why Davidoy? It, it, it creates an agreed upon set of facts. If I say I didn't do it, you say I did it. And I insist I didn't do it. We cannot have a conversation. We can never <clears throat> confront the moral implications of what happened. Because I didn't do it. <laughs> you see? But you see, 50 people saw you do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> like a kid, you know. And uh, Why'd you make your pants? I didn't do it. <laughs> what? You can't have a conversation that way. There can be no moral advancement, no moral development. Life is all about, at least in Judaism, moral enhancement, moral development. The older you get, it's supposed to be, the better you get. The more religiously mature, hopefully you grow. Use American English. But it's not possible to grow if we can't have a conversation in which your problems are put on the table. The person, I feel bad for the person who's going to go to Yom Kippur tomorrow, and I'm sure there are plenty of them, right? Let's put it this way. The Jewish Narcissist Society, which has many members. I know many of them. <laughs> and I'm sure they're going to go Yom Kippur's out, even though what I'm doing here. <laughs> I'm doing nothing wrong, not really. Nothing serious. I'm just here because a Jew is supposed to go to Shalom Yom Kippur, and a Jew is supposed to say, Hashem the Begadner. So I'm doing like everybody else. But really, I have nothing really bad on there. Right? And, you know, the, the Sultan is very happy about that. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. The person who really didn't do anything bad is the one who really cries. Isn't that right? You ever seen Shul? The, the, the biggest tzaddikim are the ones who cry a lot. I remember I read once the Vilna go and cry for hours. They didn't know what he's crying. They're like, what the heck did he do? And some guy sneaked in and they saw, you know, he wrote his own little kvittel. All right, give me a break. <laughs> and that's it. That guy basically wanted to quit being Jewish. He said, if he's, if he's got problems with Bithel Torah, we're all screwed, you know. Uh, now, I don't know if that's a true story or not. But the point is, those who are, you know, uh, or, uh, live relatively righteous lives, they do the Yom Kippur part. They're the least ones who need to do it. They're not Amnavolvachacham. They are not Dork Gish Ikeshub Saltal. But there are plenty who are. And this, and maybe majority, I don't know. And this is something Moshe Rabbeinu was told by God to write a poem about to confront just before he dies. Leave it as, as his immediate legacy. Right? As his immediate legacy. And so, we have the famous thing I've spoken in the past about the contents of this poem, which kind of foretell, you know, how the Jews will screw up and then they'll be punished. But then God will say, I won't let the guy, I'm totally wiped him out. Because then the guy will think, I mean, that's what it boils down to. That they beat the Jews because they're so powerful. And they won't realize they were just acting out my plan. As I said before, Hitler didn't say, I'm fulfilling what, 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 what God wants me to do. Incidentally, you find sometimes in the Tanakh, for example, the, the Rav Shake, the Assyrian general, I remember, says to Chizkiyo, Oh, God sent me here to uh, exile Jerusalem. At least he used that kind of sprach. Wasn't true, but at least he tried to justify it in that way. Um, usually they're just going to go and kill Jews because they don't like the Jews. I mean, that's what it boils down to. 
Um, and so you end up with this vivid poem, which, in the end, <clears throat> is very Middle Eastern because what it says is like this. They will succeed in harming the Jews. They'll kill a lot of people. But I will punish the, ba the bad guys. Right? I'll punish the bad guys. In the end, at the end of the poem, Ki es el shmaim yodi, God said, I'll raise my hand and swear. I swear by me. Because what does God swear by? Then I'm going to, notice I swear I'm going to pick up a, 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 a lightning sword and and grab mishpat, or as we would say today, revenge in my hands. I'll bring down vengeance against my foes, in other words, against the people who hurt the Jews. And I will pay my enemies, those who hate me. I'm going to nuke them. I will make my arrows drunk with blood. Ashkir. Shikr. Pretty vicious. The blood of the slain and the wounded. Hard pussy to translate. Harninu goyim amo. How do you translate? Harninu goyim amo. Sing, you goyim, his people. Because Harninu is a command, right? So, uh, kidam. I guess you'll say like this. <laughs> like this expression. I'm going to beat the heck out of you and make you like it. Harninu goyim amo. Sing, you people, kidam of other yikam. Because you're going to see vengeance, what he did to the Eden. Um, we did not see this. This kind of scenario would be the following. That instead of inventing the atom bomb, and look how God arranged it. The minute Hitler died and Germany surrendered, shortly thereafter, they figured out how to make the A-bomb. Should have been a year earlier. Right? Hitler died in and just before May 1st, the Germans surrendered on May 5th, 1945. And like June, or something like that, they tested the uh, atomic bomb in uh, Los Alamos over there, wherever it was, in New Mexico. And then they had two, two ready to drop on the Japs. Um, why did they drop on the Germans? This is the way it should have, this is the way it should have been. Uh, you know, uh, they should have done this not in June of 45 they should have created the A-bomb in June of 44 or 43 then the American plane or something drop an A-bomb or an H-bomb by the way you know uh, Oppenheimer said we'll go for the A-bomb Edward Teller these are the two physicist geniuses said I want H-bomb baby but, and tell her, so I guess, I want a bomb that's going to take out whole North Germany. Because <laughs> uh, H-bomb would do that. Thermonuclear. <laughs> Didn't happen. Now, if it would be like Hazinu, then they would have figured out, like I say, and make a bomb, let's say in June 43. By that time, they would have killed much of the 6 million. <laughs> and then Hitler's, you know, calls up Berlin, it doesn't exist. He calls the rest of Germany doesn't exist. Then you'd see Harnino Goyamamo, Kidama Vodov, Yikam, 
you know, Venakam Yoshiv Lutzarev, Vechiprad Moso Amo. We didn't see that. But in Hazini, he's predicting it. So apparently, that'll happen sometime or other. Right? They don't control the scenarios, but it happens sometime or other. These are heavy events. These are heavy ideas. And what's useful, I want to suggest, and I don't want to go too long tonight, what's useful is the notion of taking the personal responsibility. That's what you see over here. Halashem tigmuzos you going to blame someone else? Are all the faults you have in life someone else's fault? Are all the sins you do somebody else's fault? My wife made me do it. My kids made me do it. Isn't it? You'll never get anywhere like that. As I said before, there's a large number of Jewish narcissists out there of various sorts. And I'm not a doctor to issue clinical, you know, now, uh, uh, diagnoses, but I'm not stupid either. You know, in my business, you get to see a fair number of them. That age, let's put it this way. They're standing there, their ancestors, the narcissist ancestors, and Moshe's reading this whole thing. He's making everybody memorize it. But you know the old line. He doesn't mean me. Everybody knows the famous story. The rabbi says, you know, um, the soul needs money, and the rich people, the people with the real money aren't giving what they need to do, and I'm calling on everybody to do the right thing. And the richest guy in the shul doesn't give anything. Goes over to Rabbi so, boy, you sure gave it to them. Yashakoach. No, he, he didn't take it to meet him, himself. Because the narcissist never does that. In Hazinu, when we read it, we have to ask ourselves, it seems to me, and with this I conclude, does any of this apply to me? You know, am I, uh, am I that type? Uh, if somebody discovered that, I'm not saying as a result of this podcast, but if somebody res- discovered it as a result of studying Hazinu, then indeed, it would be a very worthwhile Parsha. Now, that would mark a, a landmark in his personal development. And everybody needs personal development. Otherwise, you stay uh, in one place. And uh, as Dean Esherson used to say, you know, uh, don't do something, stand there. <laughs> so uh, if that's how you want to go through Yom Kippur, okay, the self-fulfilling prophecy. But if you want to say, don't stand there, do something, then you want to study Parsha Zeno prior to Yom Kippur. That's my suggestion. I know it's less than 24 hours away, but you could do worse things on, on Yantif in Shul than have a Chumash. Trouble is, Hazim is very hard to understand the Hebrew. My suggestion, as always, for most people, would be to get the Ari Kaplan. I don't think the Mepharshim themselves, Hazim should be read as is. Uh, I don't think the Mepharshim will take you off in little details, you know. Uh, the poem stands by itself. When Moshe proclaimed the poem and taught it to him, I don't think he said to everybody, here's the Rashi and here's the Meshachach on it. The poem stands by itself and has a great grandeur. It's not an epic poem, but it's an epic poem. An epic poem is very long. Hazinu is short. But it has that nature in it, right? And it predicts the cycles of the future, especially condemns, it, as far as I can see it, this narcissist streak, which at the end of the day, is the greatest enemy of moral development. Anyway, I wish everybody will have a, a uh, easy fast, as they say. Me, William Kibber. I thank Mendy Mayer and the Shuchmans. And um, we'll, 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 we'll talk after uh, Yanta.
For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.